Welcome to this Texas Sports Nation podcast, Texans edition. I'm Brooks Cabina, and I'm joined by Chronicle Sports columnist Brian T. Smith. You can follow me at BKUBENA, and you can follow him at Cron Brian Smith. Uh, second week of Texans OTAs. It's also the first OTA that they had since the tragic shooting at Uvalde with the elementary school that left 19 children killed and two teachers. Uh, it was a remembering day for the Texans who came out to practice wearing orange shirts that demonstrated that they were standing with the city of Uvalde. And Brian, we got a chance to talk to several players who were thinking about that. And Lovey Smith, head coach of the Texans, told us that the players came together and raised $200,000 to send to uh, the Rob School Memorial Fund. Uh, the Rob School is the elementary school where the tragedy occurred, and uh, the owners, uh, Cal and Hannah McNair, um, matched the $200,000, and they're sending 400000 to the community to support the families. Um, they wore orange shirts that said uh, that they stood with Uvalde. Um, they wanted to uh, talk about it as well. And Brian, we we, we talked to both um, Lovey Smith about it, the players about it. You wrote a column about it the other day. Um, you know, what, Obviously, this is something that has really stricken the entire nation, not Nonetheless, Texas and the community of Uvalde. What was, uh, what what was the feeling that you heard from them, and just how much remembrance was there from them on that? Yeah, it was it was strong, Brooks. There's there's no way around it, and and obviously it's in, you know, you could spend hours and hours, and we wouldn't even get into the the first level of of everything that's going on right now. But I I always look at it two ways, and you know I I'll occasionally see these incredibly cynical replies from people. I mean, actually just horrible replies from people on Twitter, you know, and they usually have like four followers. Which means they're probably the bot that Elon Musk is trying to uh, eradicate from, from social media, but they'll be like, well, you know, what did they really do? Or they're just wearing t-shirts or, you know, well, they weren't just number one, they weren't just wearing t-shirts or putting a, a decal on their helmet. And even that's better than nothing. If that's what you're doing, that's better than what that bot probably did during the day. But the fact that the Texans themselves, you know, during OTAs, through conversations, started this idea of, hey, you know, what can we do? And obviously you had the connection, right, with their head athletic trainer. Uh, Rex Burkhead said he went to the elementary school, that he was, you know, obviously from the area, that he still knew people in the community, still knew people at the school. That's that's strong. And so for them, all of them wearing orange T-shirts with, you know, we are Texans, that message usually is the Texans actual social media logo, but this happened in the state of Texas, you know, so raising $200,000 and then matched by the McNairs and the fact that the McNairs, again, were out there and Hannah McNair con- continues to be very present around this organization. I thought Lovey Smith did just an excellent job uh, connecting everything from Sandy, you know, Sandy Hook and Newtown and, you know, all these different things that are just billions of miles beyond football it reminded me yet again that, you know, as much as I might bag on OTAs or make fun of them or say they don't matter, the Texans know that they have a platform. And I love what Christian Kirksey said. I love that he said, hey, we are role models. Hello, Charles Barkley. You know, we, we are role models. And it's on us. It's up to us to say something, to use our platform. I love that. It doesn't always work out. It's, it's an incredibly complicated situation that sports aren't going to fix. Uh, but it's better to say something than to say nothing. It's obviously better to raise $400,000 and donate it and, and combine with the Cowboys NFL, that's $800,000. Uh, 
I thought it was a strong day for the Texans. And it again reminded me that this continues to feel like a clean start, a new era for this organization, this team, and this franchise. Like you said, $800,000 combined with the Cowboys going to the Rob School Memorial Fund. And one of the players that we got a chance to talk to for the first time um, on Wednesday was Jerry Hughes. Jerry Hughes signed with the Texans after being the long, longest-termed Bill with Buffalo. Um, he came from uh, the Fort Bend area in Sugarland, grew up there, went to TCU, um, and then spent uh, his initial career with the Colts and then moved over to the Bills where he saw them through a rebuild. Um, got a chance to talk with him. We'll have a story in the Chronicle upcoming about him. And he's one of the interesting players, Brian. We got a chance to talk to Obo Okoronkwo last week. And it's similar in some of the way of here's a veteran coming on to the defensive edge where they really need some help. And it's a wide open position right now. So who knows who'll be the starter out there. Uh, Jonathan Grenard isn't even practicing right now because he had an operation on his foot in the offseason. And he's going to looks like he might be back by training camp. It was what Lovey Smith said. But that's really when all that battle is going to begin. But OTAs give us the opportunity to really get to know who these players are and who the players are that are going to uh, be competing for those positions. And I think Jerry Hughes, if he can make this team and be a significant part of this rotation, it'll go a long way, not only in a football sense, but last year, all of the um, roster seemed to be just fighting for just a spot in general with a lot of rookies or younger veterans and at 33 years old, Jerry Hughes made this <laughs> roster's average jump pretty significantly, along with Mario Addison, who also was a defensive end on the defensive line with the Bills. They came over with Jacques, Jacques Cesaire, uh, who's in the new defensive line coach now at the Texans. He was an assistant over in Buffalo. So really, that tells you that Lovey Smith likes what they were doing. Um, he brought both the defensive line coach over, two guys, and really w- that speaks to the aggressiveness that um, they're trying to get across. Um, it's, it's a very... Uh, aggressive front that they're trying to uh, get guys on the edge to be able to get in the backfield more than they did last year, just to put it simply. And Jerry Hughes talked about that. He understands the system. He fits into that well. Uh, obviously, he's been doing it for several years. Um, so I, I think if you, you can bring in a 33-year-old guy who's been around for a long time, knows the city, knows what it means. I mean, we were talking uh, off to the side a bit about how he might be the only player on the team who can look over at the Astrodome and remember that the Oilers played there. And he actually played in high school there. Um, so they they used to play playoff games and all that. So he's bringing like a perspective to this team that others really don't have. And uh, it, it'll be interesting once he plugs in. And I think we talk again about the defensive edge and um, you know Jerry Hughes. Um, if he can uh, – right now they have – I, I believe it's nine defensive ends, and they never carried more than eight total often, uh, defensive linemen on the roster total on game day. So there's going to be inevitable cuts. But, Brian, I mean, is there something to be said? Like, obviously, someone's not going to make the team, and, and they're bringing in several guys and uh, uh, to try and compete for spots. But can even if, say, the Mario Addisons or Jerry Hughes, there's going to be out of this group some cutting like from now until training camp is there presence is there something the Texans could get out of that even if it is short I I think there is and we're starting to see and you write about this a lot Brooks you know we're starting to see that next level of the rebuild and and you see this in Major League Baseball you see this in the NBA to where you know you can't just do one-year deals on everybody obviously and so there's there's to, to get the depth 
and to get the leadership and to get the buy-in. And then, you know, so you're going to get talent infusion from the draft. They're not really players in free agency yet. That's still to come. Um, you know, you still have talent with Tunsil and, and you know, Cooks, et cetera, at some of your key positions. But to get to that next level, to try to get this team from four wins this year to six or seven, or, you know, maybe they become the surprise of the NFL. Davis Mills is, is fantastic. But to do that, you've got to have players like Hughes. You've got to have, you know, some guys. We saw Rex Burkhead last year, you know, that he became. I mean, everyone was like, oh, they're signing Rex Burkhead, you know, Patriots, Casario, et cetera. No, Rex Burkhead, for better and worse, was essential to the Texans last year and could be again this year because he gets it. He understands that he's been through it all. He can lead. He can teach. And so you get a couple, get a few players like that. You mix in the veterans. They've got to be able to play. You know, you're not keeping around just on the on a 53 man roster in the NFL for chemistry. Uh, this isn't the 15th man on an NBA roster, but that becomes the next level. And Hughes is a perfect example of that. I look forward to to reading your your story on it in the Chronicle. And I commend again Casario, and it feels like a Lovey Smith touch as well, which you mentioned that yeah, you know we we've, we've got to get some guys who can lead, who can bring chemistry but also can still play. And that that's that's where it'll get interesting, more interesting this year once we finally get into the training camp, which I'm really looking forward to, is who sounds good on paper, who makes a little noise on Twitter for 24 hours, who can actually still play and stay healthy and contribute to that the team. The position battles will be more interesting as a result this year. And defensive end is probably one of the – I mean, we could really sit here and uh, – draw up any part of the depth chart and say there's going to be a battle there. But defensive end is one of those because they didn't really address it in the draft. They're addressing it through the free agent signings that they've brought on. So, um, you know, it's it's a part of the deal where you look at just the shares of snaps and how they've played in recent years. I mean, Rasheem Green, even coming from Seattle, like those, those guys, uh, Green, Hughes, they were starters for um, their tenures. Uh, while they were with their teams, and Jonathan Grenard's going to have to come back from his injury, and Obo Karanko is going to go in there, and um, you know that that's going to be a crucial part of what a defense is that needs a lot more pressure than they got last year. And um, I mean, just looking at the practice, and you see these guys rotate through. There's really, um, you know, you, you hesitate on takeaways and and what things look like because. You know, there are some guys that are just not part of the mix right now and thinking of the defense right now. Derek Stingley Jr., third, number three overall pick, is still not doing team drills. He's still working back from his uh, his uh, Liz Frank injury that it, that knocked him out of all last season. Um, I mean, the other things you notice, too, um, Laramie Tunsil not with the team in the uh, OTA still. Yeah. And, uh, Titus Howard wasn't there on Wednesday, but um, he was at the hospital with his wife, who is expecting – a child, so that's one of those reasonable excuses that Lovey Smith has had conversations with. So it does seem like you know uh, the the participation level is still uh, at the top there with most of the team, and um, I, I'm I'm still interested to see in team drills and just the progression of the backfield. You mentioned Rex Burkhead, how important he might be to the team, but Marlon Mack is, I mean he's he's got to be able to find a spot within this offensive. Uh, group, especially if with the offensive line, like we've been saying the past couple of weeks, is solidified and can get them a little bit more blocking, especially with Kenyon Green, left guard from Texas A&M. I mean, the, the run game was so inept last year. I mean, just to put yeah. it plainly, they, they're the second worst yards per carry in their history. 
And that really limited everything else because it was a run-oriented offense. So you could call it a schematic mistake or just an execution mistake. Really, it was a totality of mistakes. And Marlon Mack can represent a lot of change for them. If he can get back to the level that he was with the Colts, was a perennial 1,000-yard rusher before he tore his Achilles. But as we've seen across the league and other sports, that an Achilles tear might, you know, um, set back a player, but as long as his name's not Clay Thompson, but uh, it, he mm. eventually gets back and starts blowing people away on the court. So um, it's it'll be interesting to see um, how that offense goes. I mean, uh, through uh, the, the the rest of the OTAs, there's going to be another next week. Uh, they'll have um, the final three days with mandatory camp. We'll be looking more at other positions of need for the Texans, and we'll have more uh, on the coverage in the Houston Chronicle. Glad to have you guys reading and following along. We'll have all of that coverage on um, Texas Sports Nation. Appreciate your reading. You can follow me at BKUBENA. You can follow me on Twitter at Cron Brian Smith. <laughs>